all the depth that there is. You know, we need to be able to answer. We need to be able to tell the world. But yet at the same time, we've got a world out there where there's a lot of people that think they have become really smart. As I stand before you today, I'll be the first to admit that my name is Jared Rhodes. There is no PhD. There is no, call him a doctor. There is no master's. There is nothing special in me. As far as that, that higher learning goes, you've got it. You're far above me. However, I do have God, and I have His Word that I can rely on, and then I also can rely on the studies of others. Today, I want to recommend you a book it's by Eric Lyons, and uh, I'm trying to think of who else is the other writer. It was a co-author, and then I also looked at Brad, Eric Lyons and Brad Harib, uh, and one other book I looked at, and there's a lot of these things come from them. They both have PhDs. They all, they all are well-studied and very capable of producing the facts. Today, as we look at why should we believe in God, I want you to first notice that matter demands a maker. You know, as I mention all these people that are well-studied, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19, God kind of warned about this, you, you could say, and He says, the wisdom of the world, He said, it's foolishness with God. He said, you study all you want, He said, and your knowledge does not compare to the God in heaven. We've got a lot of people that have decided that they know better than God, and today you'll notice matter demands a maker. Now, this is a fact, this is a scientific fact that we'll be able to look at as we go through. But that begs the question, where did everything come from? We've got the universe, we've got the earth, plants, animals, humans. You go outside, you look around, where did it come from? Where did all this thing come into being? And it begs the question, how did we get it? You know, there's only three possibilities. And there is no other way in which you can figure out a way. Number one, you can consider the world to be eternal. It has always been here, and maybe that's the fact. Well, we'll look in a little bit and we'll see that that's not. You can also question the earth created itself from nothing. Okay? It created itself from nothing. We'll also look at that. And finally, the last option, the only other option, is it was created. As we think about this, the first thing we're going to look at is that, that very beginning. Is it possible that the world is eternal. Now, I'm going to be referencing a lot of books, and since it's not pulling up up here, I'm going to go ahead and step back a little bit. But the first question I want you to look at is, within Matter Demands Maker, Robert Jastrow and all these people that I'm going to notice or, or point out are scientists. Uh, I've, I've got an atheist. We've got people that don't believe. But in Robert Jastrow, he wrote in his book, he says, modern science denies an eternal existence to the universe, either in the past or in the future. Now, this is a scientist talking. This is him saying it is not physically possible. And he goes on to explain it. He says, but the creation of matter out of nothing would violate the cherished concepts of science. Now, what he's getting ready to note here would be the first law of thermodynamics. You can go and look it up, but the idea of the first law is of thermodynamics, he's going to actually restate, but it says in nature, matter or energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It doesn't happen. Matter doesn't come from nothing. Uh, as we consider matter, 
understanding that matter has a maker, if we were able to hold on to nothing, we couldn't ever expect that nothing to become something. You can take nothing and shake it all you want and you still have nothing. If it was that, create, if it, it was that easy to shake nothing and get something, then I would shake nothing and I would hope that all of a sudden it would turn into $100 of bills holding in my hand. Matter has never come from nothing. Nothing has never created anything. Notice what he says there in his book. He says, The principle of the conservation of matter and energy, which states that matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Matter can be converted into energy and vice versa, but the total amount of all matter and energy in the universe must remain unchanged forever. Listen. It is difficult to accept a theory that violates such firmly established scientific, you can probably read the word, fact. We've got all these theories, and he said it doesn't fit scientific fact. He goes on to say, yet the proposal for the creation of matter out of nothing possesses a strong appeal to the scientist since it permits him to contemplate a universe without beginning or without end. He said, man, it's a great thought to think about that the world didn't ever begin with something, but he said it's a scientific fact that it can't be. Understand first that matter demands a maker. Now, it doesn't start with him. I mean, it doesn't stop with him. I want to show you another author. You might have heard of the, the magazine, The New Scientist. In The, the New Scientist, it's the, uh, the, main, the main magazine called The Beginning. In the article, What Triggered the Big Bang Theory, David Shigan, 2007, wrote, the most likely outcome, in reference to that of evolution, he said, the most likely outcome, however, is none of the models will be proved proved correct anytime soon. Indeed, the quest to understand the origin of the universe seems destined to continue until we can understand a deeper question. He said, why is there anything at all instead of nothing? The big promoted theory, referred to as the Big, big Bang Theory, talks about that original ball of matter and these two, these two balls of matter collide, and then voila, we've got boom, big bang. We've got something that took place, and it transpired, and it popped into something. All right, now within God's design, how would matter ever collide? Within the, the scientist's understanding, he says, now here's our big problem. He said, where did that matter come from that hit together to create the big bang? The point was, it's not possible. Matter has to come from somewhere. Until you can know the beginning of the matter, you can't know the beginning of the world. And so he lays out the fact matter needs somebody to create it. Well, I've looked at a few that you might not know, but I imagine you'll notice this next name, Richard Dawkins. On the show in ABC Australia, it's a Dawkins and Pell question and answer show. Uh, in 2012, he stated on live television, he said, of course, it is counterintuitive. All right, if you understand counterintuitive, it is contrary to what one would intuitively expect. Basically, it goes against common sense. It goes against what we all know to be true. He said, of course, it is counterintuitive that you can get something from nothing. It's 
not possible. He said, that doesn't work, never has worked, never will work. Of course, common sense doesn't allow you to get something from nothing. That's why it's interesting. It's got to be interesting to give rise to the universe at all. Something pretty, notice this, something pretty mysterious, something pretty mysterious had to give rise to the origin of the universe. I want to propose to you today that he is exactly right. Something pretty mysterious had to give way, had to create, had to cause the rise of the world. That's one of the most well-known evolutionists today, Richard Dawkins. And yet he said something pretty mysterious had to give rise to the universe. He's an evolutionary biologist, and I'm here to tell you he was pretty sharp right there. As you consider about the the understanding that matter demands a maker, I want to look at another law of science, the law of cause and effect, or the law of causality, the law of causation. Now, don't think I came up with these words on my own. I looked them up, and this is what the scientists wrote down, so this is what I'm sharing with you. The law of cause and effect, to make it simple, to make it something I can understand, is that of a principle in philosophy. Every change in nature is produced by some cause. All right? Keep it easy for Jared. He says, because there's a cause, we have an effect. Without a cause, you never have an effect, and that's the only way it works. All right, this is not the theory. This is a law, a fact, unquestionable, undeniable. You can't get over it. All right, so the facts are law requires, if there's a cause, you receive an effect. Through an effect, requires that there was first a cause. Now we mentioned the first law of thermodynamics earlier. Now I want you to notice the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics deals with the quality of energy and it states that as energy is transferred or transformed more and more, it is wasted. Now, this is a scientist thing. This isn't something that I that I drew up or figured out, but within scientific fact, it says energy is wasted. All right, the universe is a material effect, meaning something caused it, and therefore the universe must have had something greater than it come before it. Now, Alex Villenkin wrote in his book, Many Worlds in One in 2006, he said, with the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide, cosmologists cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. He said, within the studies of cosmology, within the study of the world, he said, it is not possible that the world was eternal. All right, that's his studies, not mine, although I greatly agree with him. He said, it is not possible that they can hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. There is no escape They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Sure would be easy to say that the world had been here forever. However, he says, not possible. And why? The whole point is, it's winding down. Within science, they understand the second law of thermodynamics states that energy slowly decels. It loses, it's wasted. Things disappear, it's gone, no more. So therefore we understand that matter demands a maker. I want to propose to you today that when you ask the question, where did everything come from? I believe God had it figured out. 
Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, For every house is built by someone. Now, that's pretty easy to understand. Jody Dunning probably understands that. If a house is there, we just assume somebody built it. There was a lot of hard work. There was a lot of labor that went into producing, building, having this thing come into being. They didn't even have to create the matter. They just had to put the pieces together. God says every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. God had it pretty figured out. The answer is God did it. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, probably one of my favorite, favorite verses in all of Scripture, says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. So it says that they are without excuse. He says, you walk outside and you look around. This is, a, this is a scientific fact. You look around and you see things, therefore you know somebody created it. Because you walk outside and you see the trees and the grass and the dirt and the skies, the water, understand somebody created it. You know, it would be far easier for matter to collide and turn into this awesomely built house that Jody put together and designed and got it all figured out. It'd be a whole lot, it'd make a whole lot more sense to think that that matter could go boom and all of a sudden you've got this pretty house than to think that you've got a world that's designed so perfectly, than to think that you've got the ability for life to continue on from things going together. But if you take all the pieces of a house, I once had a had a uh, project going on, and within the project I had all of these pieces, all these, all these items together, and if you take those and you shake them and bang them back and forth, and you keep shaking and keep shaking and keep shaking, and you shake it back and forth until Jesus comes, it's not going to turn into a house. And yet we believe as we go outside and we look at the, look at the or I should say, people, science is trying to tell us that as you go outside and you look at the world around you, they said, well, some things just collided and voila. We've got grass, we've got trees. We've got trees that make carbon dioxide turn into oxygen. And all these things transpire so perfectly that you're able to live on it. And then he says, but wait, let me tell you how you came to be. So we had this matter that collided that was lifeless, that was pointless, that had nothing to do with anything and had no hope of life. And these two things collide and all of a sudden he says now voila we've got Dave Osborne all of a sudden there he is he just appeared first uh, first off they started out walking like this from these these single cells and then all of a sudden we have man that's upright walking around working perfectly able to reproduce able to continue life and the question is how did it all happen well where did it come from it came from God as you look at the question, understanding the world is not eternal, I want you to also understand that God's just the opposite. You know, as I said, matter demands a maker. I'll tell you what doesn't demand a maker, and that's spirit. You want to know why the spirit didn't create, didn't, didn't need a maker? Because God was here from eternity. Now, Jared Rhodes had a beginning, and my spirit that will live on had a beginning. However, God, the great God of heaven, was here from forever. Now, is that fathomable in my mind? Absolutely not, but I know it's the case. Psalms chapter 90 and verse 2 said, Before the mountains were brought forth, 
O God, it says, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, he says, you are God. He said, that was you. You were there. You, you were around it. You are eternal. Now, you want me to explain how God's eternal? And I tell you, I can't. But I've got the proof, and that is God who is eternal. And God says in Romans 1.20, He said, Go outside and look and understand that I am eternal. Well, I was hoping we'd get a whole lot further than this, but I can tell it's going really fast. Let's look at one more, at least one more law, and then we'll, uh, we'll get on with it. Okay, first point, matter demands a maker. We understand that you don't get matter from nothing, but I want you to go a little bit deeper because life demands a life giver, okay? Life had to come from somewhere. It's real easy to say that we had, had these two balls of nothing that come together and collide and all of a sudden, voila, we've got matter. But there's something much greater than this matter because now we've got life, all right? The law of biogenesis. Okay, once upon a time they're saying it wasn't. There wasn't life. And then all of a sudden there is life. Okay, I remember studying in fifth grade or sixth grade or fourth grade about spontaneous generation. Do you remember studying about spontaneous generation? It's been proven wrong over and over and over. And people have tried to go back to it. And scientists are still trying to figure out a way to create life from nothing. And you can't. It is not possible. That's why they say the law, undeniable, ungetoverable, ungetting around. It's no way to prove it wrong. The law of biogenesis is a fact. All life comes from previous life of its own kind. It's credited to Louis Pasteur, and we can see the proof of it in God's Word. God said in Genesis 1, chapter Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb that yields seed, listen, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. He says, Life comes from life. And we had to wait until Louis Pasteur came up with the idea that all life comes from life. Everything comes from previous life. Well, God, God laid out the facts back when he had Moses writing a long time ago. It says, And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields the seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Genesis chapter 1, 11 and 12. You skip to verse 24, and you see the same thing with animals. We see the same thing with all life. Life comes from life. Charlie didn't come from nothing. Charlie came from a mommy and daddy. As life goes, every person in the world came from a mommy and daddy. You look at even strawberries, and strawberries came from their kind. I've been watching the strawberries in my garden as they shoot little, little shoots all over the garden, and now I've got tons of strawberries. Started with six yesterday, but where'd they come from? From nothing. I had nothing, and all of a sudden, blah, I walked out there, and there were strawberries. No, I planted six strawberries, or seven or eight actually, uh, two died, and I planted these strawberries last year because my mother brought them to me, and now I've got strawberries everywhere. I've probably got 50 strawberries, and that's probably not stretching it. Uh, as you look at life, life comes from life, period, end of story. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, it says the seed is the Word of God. Now this is in reference to a parable that they were looking at. It's the parable of the sower. As the seed was spread, life was spread through the Word of God. Tonight, we're going to look a whole lot deeper at life demanding a life giver. 
But as we look for just a moment, or consider for just a moment, the seed. The sower went out to sow this seed. What did Jesus decree from the beginning about seeds? He said the life was in the seed. The life was in itself. Within, within the seed, within the plant, was the ability to reproduce and to give life. I want to tell you today, we're going to go a whole lot deeper and understand what the scientists say to prove that life gives life tonight. But understand there is one seed that gives life today. And I'm talking about spiritual life. I'm talking about hope. You know, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, you don't understand the water I'm talking about. What I'm telling you is, you don't understand the seed I'm talking about. The seed that gives life, the Word of God, gives real life, gives Christian life, gives hope. And the only way to have life, to have hope, is in the Word of God. I want you to understand that you must believe in God. Now, I'm going to ask you right now, from the matter dem demands a maker, you might say, hmm, it's not enough proof. I don't see enough for me to really believe that there's something rather than this great theory of Big Bang. Well, I'll tell you what, it is your lucky day because I've got like six more points to get through tonight. And there's no way I'm going to get through them. But there is so much fact, there is so much scientific proof that shows that without a doubt, the world had to come from, in the words of Richard Dawkins, something pretty mysterious. If you don't believe that God is, if you don't believe that God has been for eternity, if you don't believe that the world was obviously created by the mysterious something being the Godhead, being God Himself, I beg of you, make it a point to come back tonight. Make it a point, mark it down that you want to be here to understand the proof of God's design. Make it a point to be here because not only do you understand that matter demands a maker, but you're also going to see that design demands a designer. You're going to see uh, a little bit deeper that life demands somebody to give life. And also you're going to see that intelligence demands... Chances are we'll never get that far. But we'll see that intelligent demand, intelligence demands an intelligent creator. All right, I say all this to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God? You know, Christ made it very simple. In the words of Christ, and as we looked at in John chapter 8, verse 24, he, he said, listen... He said, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a pretty good start. You know, in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, Jesus speaking again, he said, except you repent. Notice he used the word except again, meaning there ain't no way around it. You got to do it. He said, except you repent. He says, you shall all likewise perish. Choose A or B. We see within Christ talking again, Matthew chapter uh, 10 and verse 28, he says, Whosoever will confess him, he says, I too will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And I think, hmm, I want to confess Christ. I want to repent. I want to believe in him. And you know, Jesus wasn't done there. He gets ready to send out his disciples after his crucifixion. He comes back and he, he, he appears and he's speaking to them and he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. 
he says, He that believeth not will be condemned. Within the words of Jesus, we see Jesus had a plan to be saved, is the words he used. He, he wanted man to be saved. He wanted you to have something much greater. Understand that you've got to put your belief in Jesus. You've got to put your belief in God, understanding that it's not just a random pie-in-the-sky thought, not just a whim where you say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but rather you believe in God because of fact. And if you don't have enough fact yet, I beg of you, be here tonight. But if you haven't given your life to God, I'm asking you right now, why do you wait? If you're willing to believe in Christ, believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If you're willing to repent of your sins, that means turn away from it. Willing to confess Him before men. Willing to do as He said, be, believe and be baptized, He said, shall be saved. If you're willing to do that, if you're willing to follow Christ's design, if you're willing to follow God's design, you can have hope for the future. The only way I want you to do it is I want you to meet me down front. If that means you have to hobble, if that means you have to walk, if that means you want to run down here, if that means you want to crawl, if you'll meet me at the bottom here, we are here to help you have your sins washed away. Please come while we stand and sing. I am the way, hark in His loving call, obey, come for He loves you so. Only a step, only a step.
some wonderful news that I'd like to share with you this morning. We would like to place our membership with the Olive Branch Church of Christ, Terry and Virginia Carden. And I have their address and the information. They're sitting right over here with their grandkids. I think that might have a little bit to do with them being in this area, but we're certainly grateful to have them. Would you stand, please, for a moment so that everybody can see who you are? We, we are certainly proud to have them come and be with us and worship and work with us. Well, since I'm up here, I guess I get to be the first one to critique the sermon this morning, you know. Uh, all of those that are away at polishing the pulpit activities and stuff and those that will be going later, they, did, they missed something this morning. I think Jared had a very worthwhile sermon and did an excellent job in presenting it. I can't wait to get back here tonight and see the rest of it. I hope you'll be back 